All right. Well, um, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, this is just a unique way to do church. And um, I'm grateful for the technology of it. I'm grateful that um, even with different videos being edited, which again, special thanks to, to folks behind the scenes like Ryan Rains who help package all this and make it presentable on a Sunday morning and so many others that, that put in their efforts. Um, I just know that given the uniqueness of it, we can obviously approach this time with a spirit of gratitude and appreciation, but also uh, that we would just truly set aside any distractions and the, the uniqueness of it so that we can truly uh, feel ministered to by the Spirit of God, right? Anytime that we, we come together with praises and songs, but also to His Word, we just ask for God's Spirit to move in a mighty way. And so I just want to pray for us, and then we'll get to today's message. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you again for this opportunity, uh, for the hope of the gospel and how it compels us to meet and to read and to encourage and to sing week after week after week, Father, that, that what we do on Sunday is really just an indicator of what we want to do on a daily basis, an opportunity for us to worship you and to do so as a community of faith and spirit and in truth. And so as we come to your word now, Father, we pray that wherever we are um, in the midst of cold weather, and in the midst of uh, being uh, confined indoors, be it that we're by ourselves or with family members or friends, Father, that today would be for you, that this moment, this time would be for you, Father, that your spirit would speak to us in mighty ways as we draw closer to the grace of Jesus Christ. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I decided to do a fireside chat. We'll see if this backfires on me. I didn't even mean to do that uh, because it's going to get a little warm up here, but that's okay. I'm, I'm going to be good with it. So I've, I've talked to you all before about uh, how much I hate running, right? That's, that's been a theme for any of you that have been with this for an extended amount of time. You know that I, I've shared several stories before about uh, the, the fact that I don't enjoy running. And a, and a lot of that is rooted in, in a childhood experience where I just knew I was slow, uh, it was ingrained in me. And, and so I've just never found much enjoyment with running as a result. And there are numerous stories that kind of highlight that dissatisfaction with running, but there's, there's one in particular that I want to share with you today. And, and it might be one I've shared before, I honestly can't remember, but if I have, then you get to hear it again. If I haven't, then good. Uh, but, it, but it comes from my freshman year in high school. So I, I go into high school and I, I knew I didn't want to play football. I was still pretty tiny. And I didn't want to get out there with those behemoths out on the football field and get just destroyed. Uh, but I loved basketball. And, and while baseball was really my favorite sport, I still wanted to give basketball a shot. And so as I go into high school, I sign up for uh, what is essentially called basketball offseason, right? Because the actual season doesn't begin until later in the fall, around the winter time. So that meant the first few months of the school year in high school, uh, I signed up for a class that was really just designed to help condition players to get ready for the basketball season. It's called basketball offseason. And so I, I signed up in this class, and as a result, uh, a lot of it is revolving around running, right? Because you're getting conditioned for a season. Little did I know, I would be spending so much time doing something that I really didn't enjoy. Uh, and I remember kind of first being uh, hit with the shock of, of how much running uh, was going to be infused into basketball offseason. It was the first week of school, okay, and, and it was Friday. It was the end of the week, and our coach takes us out of the gym, and we go out to the track in the back part of the high school. And we all are standing there on the track, and I'm already nervous because I know there's only one thing you can do on a track, and that's run, 
and that's not anything I enjoy doing. And, and he extends to us uh, what we have to do that day. He says, all right, gentlemen, boys, you guys are going to run a mile and a half today. That's six laps around this track. And even at hearing that, I was somewhat discouraged because I don't think I'd ever run a mile and a half in my life, right? It's for sure not all at once, maybe not even cumulatively. I don't know if I'd run a mile and a half at that point in my life. And so just the sheer uh, amount of running that he was asking us to do was overwhelming. But um, while I was overwhelmed by it and it triggered all those emotions, I'm slow, I'm going to come in last, all those different things. Uh, there was something within me that thought, you know what though, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to run as hard as I possibly can here because it's the first week. I'm in high school. I'm going to impress my coach. So I'm going to do my best. And so uh, they started us off and man, I, I dug in and I ran as hard as I possibly could. Probably harder than I've ever run in my life up to that point. And sure enough, I came in last, right? I, I met my expectations, which was good. Uh, and so I come in last and, and I cross the finish line. And of course, there's a little bit of an embarrassment to being the last one to finish, but I was used to it at that point. And honestly, I was still kind of proud of myself because I'd run so hard. I ran so hard. I, I gave it my effort. I was proud of that effort. Uh, but little did I know that the coach was really about to drop the hammer on the challenge. Because as soon as I finished, he looks at us all and he goes, all right, good job today, boys. Here's the deal. Next week, we're going to come back out here. We're going to run this again. Only next week, you got to run faster than you did today. Each week, you have to beat your time from the previous week. And as soon as he said that, my heart sank. And before I even walked off the track, I gave up. Right? I, like, I knew there was no way I could beat my, because I had run so hard. I couldn't do that again. I was like, there's no way I can get faster. I should have just jogged the whole time. Then I could have beat my time. And so before we even left, I gave up and had zero desire to even try to accomplish what it was he was asking us to accomplish. So sure enough, next week, we go out there, run the mile and a half. I don't come anywhere close to beat my time because I didn't run as hard, right? I mean, I, I ran, but I didn't run hard. So I didn't beat my time. And after a few weeks of failing to beat my time, the coach added another level of incentive to this challenge. And he told us, so I said, all right, here's the deal. If you don't beat your time on Friday, you're going to have to run it again on Monday. And if you don't beat it on Monday, you're going to have to run it on Tuesday. If you don't beat it on Tuesday, on so on and so forth until you beat your time. Now, looking back, I realized that that was most likely an incentive directly uh, directed right at me because I wasn't running hard uh, and he was probably trying to motivate me. But I can tell you that in the midst of it, it did the opposite of motivate me. It, it defeated me. Like it just, it just made the, the sense of giving up that much more entrenched within me because I thought there's no way I can do this. And so before long, literally every day of the week, I was out there running the mile and a half. But because I had given up, I wasn't really running. I would literally just jog across the track during the whole session because I just, I knew I couldn't beat my time. Well, to, to cap that story off, we get to the end of the, the season, right? The basketball off season, the, the real season's about to begin and everything about uh, the training and stuff is going to shift. And so it was the last time to run the mile and a half. And I went out there and I thought, you know, I've, I've pretty much figured out at this point, basketball's not for me. I'm probably just going to focus on baseball after the basketball season. But you know what? I'm going to give it one last effort here. And so I ran hard. That last mile and a half, I really did. And I, I don't know if I beat my time, I really don't, but I know I ran hard and my coach saw it. 
And so he decided to talk with me a little bit as we walked off the track that day back to the locker room. And he said, so I noticed you, you ran hard today. You did good. And I said, thank you. You know, and he said, well, where was that this whole time? And I didn't have an answer. I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. And he said, well, how does that make you feel knowing that you didn't put any effort this whole time, but, but you did today? Like, does, does that bother you at all? And again, I just, I shrugged my shoulders, right? In my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm doing baseball. I'm running 90 feet from now on as opposed to mile. I can handle 90 feet. I'm not doing the mile and a half thing anymore. I just didn't care, right? Because I had given up. And, and I, I look back on it because it truly is one of the, the best examples of my life of where I, I really did kind of quit something which is something I don't ever really like to do and I'm never really proud of. But it's also a reminder that sometimes it's just hard to keep running, right? And, and that's true, not just for athletics, that's true in life, right? We all go through different situations in life, be it academics, be it athletics, be it relationships, be it a career, what, whatever it is where all of a sudden we just wanna quit. We, we want to give up. We, we don't have the drive and the energy to keep running. Why is that? that that's, that's the question that I want us to ask ourselves today. What is it in the human spirit that leads us to a place where we lose heart, where we grow weary, where we essentially just give up and quit? And when we can kind of wrestle that to the ground, I think it'll allow us to further ask, how do we guard against it? How do we ensure that we don't lose heart? And we don't grow weary. How is it that we make sure that we keep running? And that's the question that we're going to ask ourselves today. So grab your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This is the last Sunday for us to, to go through this series of Hebrews. We've looked at these first three verses that are really designed to set the tone for the year, right? We, we've talked about how the tone for the year is to fix our eyes on Jesus and how we're going to do that on so many different levels. And, and in different ways. And so we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and this is the last Sunday to do that. As I said, next Sunday, we're going to be looking at uh, this season of Lent and the different names of Jesus. And each Sunday that we gather together, we're going to get a chance to look at a particular name of Jesus and what it really means. But today, we're going to finish this series. So let's let's read it again, the first three verses, hoping that again, this kind of gets embedded into your, your memory. Let's read chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's the verse for us to, to look at today. So just a, a brief recap of these three verses and what we've discussed over the last several weeks. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We have people all around us that can demonstrate what it means to, to live by faith, right? And so what we do is we want to follow that example. We want to be encouraged by the witnesses that surround us. And so we, we throw off all the things that can hinder us, any sin that easily entangles us, because those are going to be the things that that make us grow weary, that make the race difficult. So we shed ourselves of those things that entangle us, and then we fix our eyes on Jesus, right? We run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, right? We know that God has set our course. We run what it is that he's asking us to run. We consider Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus, who went from cross to throne. And as the, the author tries to reiterate this point today with verse 3, he says, consider him 
who endured, right? You're being called to run this race of endurance. So consider him who endured such opposition from the hands of sinful men so that you don't grow weary and lose heart, so that you don't give up, so you keep running. That's, that's essentially what the author is saying here in verse three. And so that's what we're going to do. We're, we're just going to break down that verse. And in the first answer here from the author in order for us to, to continue to run this race of perseverance is that word consider, right? And it's, it's an important word because it means to thoroughly look at something, right? To closely examine. It's also used in, in the context of calculations, so a lot of times we think about Jesus, we reflect on Jesus, we, we you know, uh, reminisce about Jesus, but how often do we truly consider, like thoroughly think about the opposition that he endured, right? That, that's pretty important. A lot of times we oversimplify it. And so what I want us to do is to do exactly what the author has said. Let's, let's consider what Jesus endured. And a lot of times... Uh, what, what, what we'll do is we'll just immediately go to the cross, right? And what Jesus endured on the cross, because it was kind of the, the apex of his endurance, the apex of his perseverance. But, but really his whole life was a testimony to endurance and the things that he had to, to overcome, right? Let, let's, let's think about some of these things. Let's start with his birth, right? His, his birth was, was a birth that occurred in the midst of scandal and shame and poverty, Right now, we've, we've dressed it up, we've made it fun, we've called it Christmas and Advent, and it's nostalgic for us, and it, it feels peaceful and sweet. But let's not make any mistake here that, that when Jesus was actually born, it was in the midst of shame and scandal. How this woman could have a child that wasn't her husband's, right? How they were born not in luxury and comfort, but in a stable and poverty, right? Immediately. Jesus had to endure. And then think about the first few years of his existence, right? Jesus was a refugee. You, you should have pictures of, of what that's like because we see it so consistently in the news of, of people having to leave the comforts of their own home for the sake of their own well-being and their livelihood. And, and so here's Herod ordering for all the children under the age of two to be executed and killed. And so Joseph takes Mary and Jesus and they flee to Egypt. They live as refugees, Right, then you get to the early part of Jesus' ministry and he, he faces extreme temptation, intense temptation from the evil one. Right? We all have these impulses towards self-gratification and self-indulgence and Jesus was just like us. And so you have this, this intense temptation where, where the evil one twists and seeks to deceive using God's word to, to prey upon Jesus and to get him to give into that self-gratification towards power, towards comfort, towards, towards notoriety, all these different things. Right? Jesus was extremely tempted. He was rejected by his own hometown. Right? The place where he grew up, people that knew him as the carpenter's boy or Joseph's son that saw him grow old and, and saw him mature, like those were the people that, that refused him, that ran him out of town, that wouldn't allow him to come back. They rejected him and who he said that he was. You, you think about the intense pressure to meet the needs of others, never really finding a moment to himself, struggling to find those moments of privacy and rest, constantly bombarded with people who needed him and wanted him to do this for them and heal this for that and, and address this and all these different things, the constant need of pressure and having to meet those needs of others. He was homeless, 
right? He himself said the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head, right? You, you think about the, the antagonism from local leaders, right? People in authority, people of influence that were constantly trying to trick him, manipulate him, rooting for him to fail. Anybody dealing with that today? Anybody have city leaders after you, setting traps for you, hoping that you will fall and, and meet your demise, right? You, you think about the, the fact that when all of that began to come to a head, the false accusations that began to be leveled against him, that he was a lawbreaker, that he was evil, and it leads to this betrayal, a betrayal by one of his very own followers, a betrayal that then led to an arrest and, and not just the shame of the arrest, but the complete abandonment by all those who had sworn their allegiance to him and had said they would be with him. They, they all abandoned him. He, he felt the pain of loneliness and isolation. And then all of that leads to horrific torture and death. Right? A lot of times we, we simplify it again, right? And, and we don't really consider it. We just say, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You really consider, you, you think thoroughly about that? That when Jesus was flogged, that means his hands were bound and he was, he was positioned against a post or some structure in the whip, these thick leather straps that contained pieces of, of lead and, and balls and stones and sharp pieces of nails and glass were, were essentially taken and whipped across his back, his legs, his entire backside until it was utterly disfigured. 39 times. 39 times continuing to rip into his back. And once that was done, they, they place a robe around him and they begin to hit him and beat him and spit on him and mock him and they jab a crown of thorns into his scalp. And once the mocking is done, they rip the robe off, re-exposing and re-injuring all those wounds from the flogging. And he's exhausted. They ask him to carry his own cross, their own cross beam, but he, he literally is physically unable to do so because he has been beaten so severely. So somebody else carries it for him, but Jesus still has to march 650 yards in that state to Golgotha. And once he's there, they lay him across that wooden beam. They put uh, nails in his wrist and in his feet, and they hang him up on the cross. And it causes searing pain all over his body. But what ultimately leads him to death is the suffocation, what's going on internally to the point that he has to gasp for breath. And the only way to actually gasp for breath is to push up on those nails and to breathe. And what does he do with those final breaths? What does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dealing with the weight of Psalm 22. He pushes up and he breathes and he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then finally, he pushes up and he breathes, it is finished. Have you really considered all that Jesus endured from birth to death? And you know what's re remarkable about it? What is absolutely incredible is that in the midst of all of that, not one time, not one single time did Jesus quit. At one time, did he give up? Yeah, he, he prayed, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. That was the closest he got. He kept running the race marked out for him. It's remarkable. 
And the question that should lead us to is how? How was he able to do that? And, and I think in order for us to answer that question, sorry, my, my computer keeps fading on me. I forgot to, to tell it not to sleep. So I'm gonna have to reach up there every once in a while. So part of the filming from home. So, so how does Jesus go through all that without quitting? And, and I think in order for us to answer that question, we should shift our focus ever so slightly and think more about just the human spirit, right? What, what it is in the human spirit that leads us to a place of growing weary, of losing heart and giving up, right? What, what is it that typically happens? Well, there's several things that we could point to. Let me give you a few suggestions this morning. One is frustration, right? A lot of times we quit and we give up because we're just frustrated. Right? Like you just, you go through something and and you struggle, you struggle, you struggle, and then that frustration mounts. You're like, that's it. I'm done. I've I've quit the game of golf so many times. Right? You know what I mean? Like I can tell you how many times I've been on that golf course and I thought, I ain't doing this anymore uh, because it's so frustrating. You you watch kids learn to ride a bike and a lot of them will get on that bike the first time thinking they can just do it without any problem, but they'll fall, they'll scrape their knees and it gets them frustrated. And so what do they decide? That's it. I'm not doing this anymore. Right? Frustration is something that often leads to that place of weariness, that place of losing heart where we, we give up and we quit. Or maybe it's a lack of belief, right? Something that gets embedded within us that tells us we're not capable, right? We, we just aren't able to accomplish it. This is kind of similar to my story of, of running, right? It had been ingrained in me from a very early age. You're slow. You, you can't run. And so that, that led to me just believing before things even got started that I was going to fail, that I couldn't, I couldn't do it, right? A lot of times we grow up in environments where, where we're continually told we're not worth anything, that, that we're, we're worthless, that we're going to fail. And, and all of a sudden that lack of belief becomes entrenched. And so we quit before we even start. Sometimes we quit because of apathy, right? Um, we're just apathetic. Now, now granted, some things we don't do because we just genuinely don't enjoy them, right? We all have different interests and we say, well, I don't really need to worry about this because I really enjoy doing this sort of stuff over here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying in general apathy where we're asked to do something and we just don't do it because we just don't care. I think about my freshman year in college and uh, I, I needed a year of sciences. I was not a, a fan of science. And so I remember signing up for biology my freshman year. I went the first day, I listened to that opening lecture and I thought, uh-uh. I, I just don't care about this stuff, man. I, I'm not going to get into this. I'm going to try something else. So I dropped the class. I quit, right? That's, that's apathy that leads us to, to quitting. Apathy isn't always a terrible thing because we do have different interests, but, but it can become pretty pervasive in life. When all of a sudden apathy begins to permeate our existence to where we become apathetic about our health, about our careers, about our relationships, about our faith, that's when it becomes really destructive. And that's where that weariness and that losing heart really begins to settle in. All right, so maybe it's not apathy, it could be uh, fear, right? We're just flat out afraid, right? We quit, we walk away because we're, we're terrified of, of the risk. We're terrified of what could happen. We're terrified of the potential loss. And so we just, we don't do certain things. We quit certain things because we're afraid of what might happen. Uh, it could be failure. Right? We have failed so many times that that failure has mounted up and, and we just are so worn out by it that the repeated mistakes, the repeated inability to, to succeed that we finally just at the, under the weight of failure say, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not able to do this anymore. 
a lot of different things that contribute to it. But you know what they all have in common? You know what they all seem to foster on some level is that sense of helplessness, right? That's what ultimately gives rise to it is we arrive at a point where we think I, I'm beyond help. I can't help myself and no one else can help me either. So I might as well quit. I might as well give up. I might as well walk away. Right? That, those are the things that tend to contribute to it in the human spirit. And, and it's, it's interesting to also consider the manner with which these emotions and thoughts can materialize. Right? Like sometimes they're sudden. Right? Sometimes we arrive at that weariness almost overnight because we're, we're typically in this situation bombarded with unexpected tragedy or crisis. Right? It's the sudden job loss. It's the, the diagnosis of a, of a terminal illness. It's the loss of a loved one. It's, it's something tragic in nature that immediately makes us want to step back and give up and quit. But oftentimes, I would say we arrive at these emotions more subtly and more gradually than tend to happen overnight. It's the repeated failures. It's the repeated apathy. It's the continued fears that begin to just settle into our lives and our existence that then before we know it, we're slowly drifting away and it's eroding our faith. It's eroding our resolve and we're growing weary and we're losing heart. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes we're moving through that gradual, subtle um, wearing down and sometimes it's then met with an overwhelming sudden season and it just all begins to build on itself. Through it all, what we typically find ourselves asking where it becomes really dangerous and what I believe the author of Hebrews is really trying to get at is those sentiments that lead us to say, where is God in all this? How can he let this happen? Is he really worth it? Right, those are questions that I think all of us have probably asked at some point or another. Right, all of us have probably experienced something where we've gone, how, how is this possible? And those are the seeds of a weary heart and an eroding faith that can begin to fester. See, the author of Hebrews knows that, that harsh circumstances on anyone can begin to erode your faith. And so his answer to that is when you face these things, when you face this frustration, when you face this lack of belief, this apathy, this fear, this failure, this helplessness, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. And that's the answer. Right, is to recognize what causes it, but then to say, okay, well then how do I prevent it? How do I guard against the decision to walk away or to give up and to give up on God because I can't see him in any of this? How do I guard against that? And the author says, consider Jesus. And that's what I want us to do. Let's, let's merge those. Let's think about all that Jesus endured and, and what typically happens in the human spirit that leads to us growing weary and losing heart and see how those can work together. And here's what I believe you discover, right? A, a couple of things is that first and foremost, when you begin to consider Jesus in, in his list, you kind of have to ask yourself, and I, I want to ask this sensitively. I don't want to make light of any difficult season or hardship that somebody's going through. But is there any of us out there that can legitimately say that what we're going through is worse than what Jesus went through? Can anyone say that? Maybe it's different, right? Maybe it feels similar, but can anyone say it's worse? I don't think we can. In fact, I know we can't. Nothing compares to what Jesus endured, which, which means two very significant things for us this morning. 
Number one is that when we come to God, when we come to Christ, we find more than sympathy, we find empathy. <laughs> Have you ever really kind of noticed the difference between the two of those? Right, sympathy is great. You go through something difficult and there are people in your life that are going to be very apologetic that you're having to go through it. And they're going to say, man, I'm so sorry that you're, you're going through that. I wish there was more I could do for you. And, and those are great words to hear, but they, are, they sound different than words of empathy. When you hear from somebody that says, I know. I know how you feel. I know that pain. I know that hurt. And I'm here for you. And that's different. And it blows my mind that because God chose to send this Jesus to suffer and die in the flesh, we have a God who empathetically understands our condition. Your pain, your heartache, your difficulty, your challenges, your hardships, Jesus says, I know, I understand. And that should give us a tremendous sense of comfort. But the second thing it should do is to further consider why Jesus went through all those things, right? And, and here's the point that I think the author of Hebrews is trying to make. Be like Jesus. Yes, that's an undeniable call in scripture, right? That we, we want to be like Christ. We want to follow in his footsteps. We want, to, we want to emulate him, just as it says in the, in the later New Testament, right? Be holy as I am holy. We, we want to be like Jesus. And so on some level, the author is saying, hey, he did it. So can you, right? Emulate his faith, emulate his endurance. I think that's a part of it. But I don't think that's, that's all that's being said here. I think that's insufficient right? because who of us can really be perfect like Jesus? We can't. We, we can't have that same level of faith and that same level of endurance. And so what I really believe that this is also telling us is not just emulate what Jesus has done, but also understand what Jesus has accomplished, right? What his accomplishments mean for you. And so, so now, when you go through life and you experience those things that are so common to the human dilemma, right? Those things that are going to give rise to the potential to grow weary and to lose heart. Think of what Jesus has accomplished for you. You, you frustrated? You frustrated in life, you're frustrated in relationships, understand that this is a broken world and there's gonna be a day where God makes all things right through Jesus. There, that frustration will cease. You, you lack a belief in yourself, in your worth. Understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and according to this gospel, you can do all things. Not, not some things, not a few things, all things. How? Not by your own abilities, not by your own skill set. You can do all things through Christ. It's only through Christ that you can do all things. It's what he's accomplished, not what you've accomplished. And when you consider what he's accomplished, he gives you strength. So of course you can believe in yourself. Of course you can see your value. You find an apathy. You find an indifference to your world and your circumstances. There's no room for apathy in the gospel. Jesus always calls. He always commissions. He always infuses significance and meaning to every heart, every life, every day, every breath. There is meaning and there is purpose. There is something he's calling you to do. You facing fear? Perfect love dries out fear, according to the New Testament. And Jesus has loved you perfectly. 
There is nothing to fear. There is nothing in this life that can be greater than the love that we have in Christ. Not famine, not nakedness, not hardship, not danger, not sword. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. You worry about failure, and he has taken your mistakes, he's taken your shame, and he has forgiven them as far as the east is from the west. He has washed you white as snow. No matter how far into that pit of failure and mistake you think you may have fallen, God's grace is deeper still. There is nothing that Jesus hasn't accomplished for you. So when you feel helpless, man, we we need to respond like the psalmist in Psalm 121, right? We lift our eyes to the hills and we ask, where does my help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. He is mighty to save. We are never beyond his reach, never beyond his grasp. He is always there to help us, right? And and so the challenge for us is that when we have those feelings of helplessness, we have to understand that part of the reason we get struggle, begin to struggle or get frustrated with this is that our vision of how God should help us is often different than his vision of how he's going to help us, right? And that's that's what we have to align ourselves with. I've, I've experienced this recently in the passing of my father, right? When my dad got sick, I assure you, I prayed everything within me. God, heal him, right? Help him. And my vision of God helping my dad and helping me in that situation was that he'd get better, he'd be discharged from the hospital, and we'd get many more years with him. That, that was my vision. God's vision was different. God's vision was not that my dad would be with me, but that he would be with him. But they both were visions of help. And God's vision of help was far greater. <laughs> I wanted him here on earth, God wanted him in glory. And so there's nothing within me that can sit here and think that that God wasn't there. God didn't help him. As I said at my dad's funeral, there is never going to be a shred of my thought or my heart thinking that this virus was victorious. Jesus was. My dad was absolutely helped and rescued because that's what the gospel does. We are never beyond his help. Praise be to God. And so let me, let me close with this, some, some final thoughts here. Where are you in life? Right? What, what's the season like for you as you begin to try to run this race that God has marked out for you? Do you sense yourself growing weary? Do you sense yourself losing heart? Th- those words are really just you're wanting to give up wanting to walk away. And like I said, sometimes that's a gradual drift. And maybe that's where some of you are. You, you sense that apathy setting in. You, you feel just frustrated more than you used to be. You, you're losing a sense of self-worth. You, you find yourself caving into more fears or being weighed down by your failures. You, you feel more helpless than you have in the past. And you sense that subtlety. And whether you realize it or not, it's beginning to erode or challenge your faith. Maybe it's more sudden. Maybe it's more drastic. Maybe some of you are tuning in today and this is your your last ditch effort to find some reason, some way to move forward. Where are you right now? 
sometimes we go through things in life and it's just really hard to keep running. And my whole point through this whole series is that wherever you are, I truly believe that God is drawing you in close. He's holding your face and he's saying, look at me. Just look to me. I'm going to get you through this. Don't stop running. And that's the call, church. That's the call for all of us to respond to. That we would be able to take all the things that we may encounter, be it today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now, and we would run, run with perseverance, that each and every day we would run with courage, we would run with joy, we would run with hope, we'd run with purpose, we'd run with meaning, we'd run with significance, we would run with all the things that God has entrusted to us through Jesus Christ because we have our eyes fixed on him. So wherever you are, don't grow weary, don't lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus and let's keep running this race and let's run it together. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we love you and we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. For all the wearied hearts and weary souls today, I pray, Father, that the hope of Jesus would once again bring life and joy and courage into our bodies, into our minds, into our souls, and we would give you this day as a day that we will run with joy and confidence the race you've marked out for us. And tomorrow, Father, that we would do the same. That collectively, Father, we would be your church that runs in such a manner that draws this world into a greater love and a greater understanding of who you are and what you've done for us through Christ. We love you, Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.